0: What does it mean for a, an authoritarian regime like a Russia, or maybe a China to be more realistic, uh, to build their own game engine that is sort of state-controlled, state-sponsored, and uh, what are the implications on that?
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. Today I'm joined by my Diane, lead product manager, IEA and contributor at Navic. And we're on a roll with new guests. Today we have Tammy Le- Levi. Gosh, let did me, I screw that? Oh, I no. yeah. oh. <laughs> This is forever recorded. Um, Chief games officer at
2: captain.tv. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Um, Do you have like a 30-second intro about what you do?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, as Maria said, I'm Tammy Levy. Uh, I am the chief games officer at Captain TV. We're a uh, smallish startup uh, building what we call streamer-led games. Um, So it's all about uh, social interactions uh, and really enabling streamers to connect with their community and doing that through games. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting space that we're exploring and trying to build out. Um, so a lot of a lot of exciting um, you know design spaces to explore for us. Uh, before being at Captain TV, uh, I spent eight years at Congregate. That's uh, um, and I did a bunch of different things that congregate from uh, user acquisition, product management, uh, analytics. Um, my last role there was as uh, chief product officer. Um, so that's that's me. That sounds really exciting. So streamers,
1: players, someone who's watching a stream can play the game?
2: Or yeah, 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 uh. yeah. So you have, um, you know, if, if um, you join a, a streamer-led game Usually, how how it goes is um, right now. The kind of like the framework that we have for for our games is uh, the streamer. We call them captains, hence Captain TV. Um, you know, and they're kind of leading the charge. Like the one game that we have live, it's called Stream Readers, and they're like leading the charges. They're like going down these dungeons and like uh, you know beating clearing the dungeons. Um, so, you know, they plays their big union and then their audience all rallies behind them and plays all their little units. And then the battle plays out. Um, that's just one example, but really is about kind of those those interactions instead of kind of being broadcast streamer to audience all the time with like very minimal interaction just through chat is creating a more meaningful connection and interaction uh, between the, the streamer and uh, their community.
1: Wow, that could be a topic in itself. I'm very curious, <laughs> but we have a full episode so I can't ask further questions. Maybe maybe on the next a next time. And just to get to know you a little bit better, you have a dog?
2: I used to have a dog. Uh you'll see him in a lot of my social media and my profile pictures because he was I, I came to realize that my, my little senior dog was just always in my pictures. So I was like, sure. I'll just like embrace that. So, uh, we lost him a few months ago. Um, but his name was Jasper and I'm more than happy. Uh, he's a joy. Um, so I'm more than happy to talk about him. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. He was 17 years, uh, young when he, when he passed a few months ago. Wow. Uh, and we adopted him when he was 12. Um, so we, we, experience his, his retirement. Everyone's like, oh, man, I want to have a retirement with you. Uh, live my retirement with you because uh, he had a wonderful retirement with us.
1: Was he like a party senior or was he a chill, relaxation retiree? Uh,
2: he was like both, a little bit of both. Uh, once he came okay. out of his shell, he um, you know he, he liked to chill. But, you know, he also liked to, he, he was an introvert for sure. Um, So it took him, like, a little bit to, like, warm up to people. But once he did, he he could be a riot and, like, loved playing. And he was a a nerdy dog, we say, because he loved solving (laughs) puzzles. Um, So we ended up buying, like, the most difficult, like, puzzles. And, like, he would go all out on on solving them.
1: Wait, what do you mean by puzzle? So I've never seen a dog solve a puzzle (laughs) A a dog puzzle.
0: We've entered the pedicast section,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right?
2: Uh, It's it's games games for two dogs. Uh, So the the ones that we had for him and like there's different levels of like um, difficulty, but uh, it's like you know they have to find the treats, and he was also very treat motivated, Um, but you would have to like say like there's like three little boxes or like drawers uh, but they have a lock so that you have to first like unlock it with the paw and like align it into, in the right place then pull the drawer and then you get the treat um that was the easy one uh and there were like two two levels of difficulty more that he eventually mastered
1: that's so cute. I think I'd find that fun. Wow.
2: Like, luckily, a right? treat for
1: me, and I like to solve that puzzle,
2: right? And try to find it. <laughs> yeah, and take take five five different steps to get your treat. It just, you know, tastes way better.
1: Let's let's pivot, Captain TV. Let's do human <laughs> human treat puzzle. Human treat puzzle. Streamer yeah. ledge. Yeah. <laughs> and what's what's a game that you recently turned from? Do you remember?
2: Uh, that that's a great question, and I am I'm going to talk about a game that I haven't turned that I turned and then I just I just reactivated, um, and it, it's, it's Pokemon Go. Um, Ooh! And I've had like this roller coaster relationship with Pokemon Go of like playing a lot, turning something gets me back to it, playing a lot, turning. Um, so I went through like that last cycle of like playing a lot. And then, then I was like, I'm done with this. I'm so tired. Like it's, it's just collections. Like it's, I'm, I'm done. And I was like, I'm going to move it out of my home screen and just like, get it out of my view and I'm done with it. Like turning for real. Uh, the problem is that I, I, every time I've gotten my partner into like the let's play a lot. he's like, wait no. a <laughs> Um, he, get, he gets like way more obsessed and like he's way more completionist than I am. Um, so the social pressure, man, this, the peer pressure, social pressure, he'd be like, come on, we're on the same team We, I need someone else to defend this, uh, gym with me. <laughs> um, and he just like start slowly pulling me back into it. Um, and then we were traveling and I was walking a lot. Uh, and I was like, well, if I'm going to be walking a lot, I want to have get get cracking those eggs from Pokemon Go, and then once you get cracking those eggs, you are like, well, I gotta spin those stops because I want like the gifts and the postcards and like, and now I am back in full swing with with Pokemon Go after a two month hiatus of I am never touching this again. Wow. <laughs> well, that's the power of Pokemon.
1: That's great when a game manages to associate something like a long walk. To a moment to reactivate you. That, that's so smart.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's because it, it felt like a, a missed opportunity. Right, like first two days that we were traveling, I didn't have like the adventure sync because uh, it's like what what counts your your distance. Um, without you having to open the, the app, it's so, like mm-hmm. I had I was like and no adventure sync when I was like I'm turning. Cause I was like I don't want you reading my data. Mm-hmm. Um all about the data privacy there <laughs> uh, and I was like so upset. I was like, man, I missed two days of like walking. I was like, okay, it's fine. I will, I will enable
1: Adventure Sync again. <laughs> well, maybe in a few months you can tell us again
2: if you're still, you're still on the go. I'm, I'm sure right. I'll be, I'm sure I'll be uh, churning, especially when the winter hits, but. Um, oh yeah.
1: We'll yeah. we'll get we'll across that, no that
2: bridge when we get there.
1: <laughs> no one noticed my my pun. I'm really sad. You know you're on the go because it's Pokemon Go. That's, okay. that's a good one. Too
2: too smooth. Too smooth. Hey. You're too smooth. Sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> um, Matt, what do you think about Elon Musk saying that Tesla is going is making progress with the Steam integration? Are you looking forward to playing games in a Tesla?
0: Uh. <laughs> no, uh, I don't have a Tesla, um, and I don't have many friends who have Tesla, any. I guess my boss has a Tesla, but I don't often drive with him. And so, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with my Steam at home. I'm comfortable with my uh, Xbox. Um, I'm not particularly excited about it. I think uh, I think he has bigger fish to fry, honestly, than um, putting Steam in Tesla.
1: Spoken like a true product manager. Should be lower down. And it's the like what's what's
2: uh, what's the opportunity cost of of this? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, I'm really excited about just this quick snippet of news. The Warframe Studio, uh, Digital Extremes, they're making a new free to play fantasy MMO. I love Warframe, and so I'm even more pumped to play a fantasy version. And they called it Soul Frame, Warframe Soul Frame. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's inspired by Princess Mononoke, which is my favorite uh, Miyazaki movie as well. So hopefully, I think it's, I don't know when it's coming out. They just announced that they're doing it. So hopefully sometime next year. I was going to say probably
2: like 2024. No. Okay, I'll hold
1: off being excited about this. Um, All right, well, we'll just jump into the topics. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the highlights and pitfalls of letting players choose your content. Uh, Russia is preparing to fund its own national game engine, and we're also going to talk about the Unity and the Iron Source merger, which should be a spicy topic. Who's excited for the topics today? Okay.
0: Let's get into it. All
1: right, Ready? I'm actually bringing the first topic. Uh, which is the Highlights and Pitfalls. And this is based on uh, Old School RuneScape's polling system. I know it's been talked a lot when there are discussions about DAOs and Web3 games. Just a quick disclaimer, I used to work at Jagex, but everything I'm about to share is public knowledge. It's all in an M.E. article that was written by Andy Brown recently. And as a bit of context, Jagex develops two RuneScape MMORPGs, one called RuneScape 3 and one called Old School RuneScape. Rune, RuneScape 3 continued to evolve. Uh, old School RuneScape was reignited with a nostalgia from the players who used to play the 2007 version of the game. It's really cool. to Go check it out. It's low poly. Um, yeah, it's very nostalgic, to be honest. I used to play it when I was younger, so I really like delving into it once in a while. It's also available on, on mobile. So Old School RuneScape decides whether the updates are going to go live. Um, based on player polls, and it has to reach a 75% yes criteria for it to be released. RuneScape 3 does not use a polling system. I think it all started when old school RuneScape were deciding whether to bring um something, I think PVP back into the game. It was something about the game and they ran a poll and the poll passed. And that's where it all started in terms of that, that community. And some of the benefits of the polls that were mentioned is that it adds quality to what's being released because it passed the player poll. And the polls are actually quite detailed in terms of the design documentation. Um, it also makes the game unique because there is no game out there with the scale and longevity of old-school RuneScape that permits players that, to have like such control over the game's content. And it also allows players to permit the game to evolve because it was brought back with the nostalgia Of a very specific year that the game that existed and the player base it shows that the player base is still committed to keeping the the game growing over over time and then just quickly some challenges of having polls is that some players uh, like the counterpart of that benefit is that players can be very attached to the nostalgic feeling and the design at the time and so they might block um content that is more futuristic, even in its design style. So I imagine it must be really hard for the game designers to have to keep one foot in 2007 and then the other foot designing for 2022. It can also be difficult to reach 75% of acceptance um, when you're talking about something that's a bit niche. Uh, one example is a PVP content. Players don't like to be killed. And so if there's something that will increase PVP or make it better or make it harder for players to defend themselves, it can be very hard to reach just group consensus. And so that niche player base could be affected and not have content. They, it, I think they experimented or are experimenting with restricting polling to players who play a certain mode to try to make that more fair, but apparently that brings its own challenges I and I can imagine so. Um, and then it's also really difficult for developers who are super passionate about an idea. Um, you know, you see the data, you see a pain point, you think, oh, this would be a really good solution. But then it's actually quite a high acceptance um, criteria with the 75%. And then just for one percentage, something that you're really passionate about, it just gets gets lost. So I, I can imagine it's difficult to handle that loss in a way. Um, so the thought that I was having about this article is first to bring it back to the DAO-style decision-making. And I know, Matt, you wrote uh, an essay about this Um, a few months ago, so I was actually thinking, could we see more games, for example, blockchain games, bring player decision based on a polling, such as old school RuneScape, rather than a DAO style? So the difference is being polling, the content is still generated by the the game dev team, so you understand what you want to to do with the game, what problems to solve, what the high-level design is, And then you propose it and you see if you get that acceptance or feedback. Contrary to a DAO style where anyone in the DAO that owns governance tokens, they can propose something for the game. And then if it passes, it's just introduced to the game.
0: I I think you could still have a little bit of both. Um, you could. It, it, I think it comes down to how your DAO and your tokens are designed, right? Like what governance rights are you granted with your tokens? It could be just as you described, Maria, where, you know, only the developers have the right to propose a topic uh, for voting. And then you as a DAO member, um, by owning that token, have voting rights, but you might not necessarily have proposal rights. You could also do something in between where like you need a certain amount of tokens or a certain class of tokens that lets you also propose Uh, and maybe there's some gating behind that like you need to be vetted by the community or vetted by the developers or I don't know I feel like there's there's solutions to kind of bridge that gap uh, between sort of traditional polling where it's all very centralized and completely decentralized Um, and you know as you pointed out like there are all sorts of challenges and problems to having something that's completely uh, decentralized or even putting things up for a vote to begin with um that's my kind of quick take. I'm curious to hear what, what Tammy has to say, like working on games that are by nature very participatory. Like Yeah,
2: no, I think like it's I think it's super interesting. And I was I was really like thinking about um you know this the specifics of this topic and like how the the RuneScape team has been able to manage it because you know there's you know a lot of teams and even you know Captain TV, like we talk about like community first and building with the community and building games with the community. Um, and that can look many, many different ways. Um, and just seeing kind of like this longitudinal example, right. Cause like DAOs <clears throat> are just getting started, right. Like they're, you know, they've been around here and there. Um, but for games, like we're, we're, we haven't hit this point where like you're live up, op- like you're doing live ops with, um, you know, a ton of games and a ton of examples that have DAOs, um, as far as I'm I'm aware. So I think it's it's it was a, a very interesting thought exercise for me. Like, you know, how do you keep that balance between um, ensuring you do right by all players? And you could argue that by you as the developer proposing what changes should be made to the game, which updates should come to the game. know you're thinking about like the the broader um user base how do you balance that with you know letting the the community that wants to be vocal be vocal uh because i think like that's always been the challenge and that continues to probably be like the challenge that i've I've experienced is you know you're always going to have like a vocal percentage of your your community and it's like it's it's a vocal minority um and how do you how do you best balance that? And I think like you know, DAOs kind of address it from one angle. Polling probably addresses it from another. If it's like easy enough to like participate and not have to like you know think too much about it, and you're just like passionate about the game and just go and and you know share share your opinion about what shouldn't should come into into your turf of of your game. Um, so it was, you know, I think that what, what Matt's saying is like, it is an interesting point of, you know, balancing and keeping kind of like a, a little bit of both intense of, you know, being able to opening up for the community, like what do they think would be good and having like very clear avenues to do that. Because I think like that also is where a lot of like community frustration can come up. It's like, you know, they mentioned, hey, we need this this is broken we want this and Mm -hmm. developers being like yes we hear you and then nothing happens right so having like better avenues for that um as well as like hey are you like are you on board with this this big update um and I think it just creates like much longer engagement for sure um so I think it's you know it's something that I've been just thinking a lot about in in general, and I think it's just like continues like it, it's a thing that continues to evolve. I think for me, um, and I'm also very curious to see how like a lot of like the the games in the Web three space that are implementing like DAOs, like how they start handling these challenges. Um, and you know, you pointed out. A lot of the challenges that the RuneScape's uh, team has has run into because it has its its uh its pros and cons.
1: Yeah, I think the niche audience for different areas of content was really interesting because I can see exactly that if you give full democratic decision to a, a large player base across all all of the game content, then unless that population is even in terms of their interests. And if the game is really complex, like an MMO, where something that's good for one part of the player base or content could then make lives harder for other players, that would be hard to to reach that that kind of consensus. I think I think if the game, if a game decides that this is part of their gameplay, that's what makes it fun. And it could be it could be well, just like old school RuneScape, it works so well for them, and people are enthusiastic to play the game because they can be part of that journey as long as people are aware of the challenges that will come with it, it could be part of just the game design from the, from the get go. Um, I am interested, you know, if I put my product manager role on, I'm interested in the opportunity cost um, that Matt was saying about the Teslas. Uh, yeah, there's an opportunity cost. If you invest all of this time in how oh, I want to design this feature and this is what it's going to look like. And then I'm going to pull it. If then that doesn't pass the pull. Someone on the team has just spent, I don't know, maybe two weeks working on something that then doesn't go through. So there's that added cost as well to the game development that could potentially get easily lost as something that's not tracked.
0: Um, you, you mentioned earlier that some of the proposals get really detailed. I was, was curious if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Like I, I've not really spent much time playing RuneScape. I don't know what level of detail they go into. Um, would you mind talking about that a little bit?
1: I can only say it gets really detailed, like with images and explaining all the context around it. It's, it's, it's almost a complete game design doc that gets shared with players. And
0: Yeah, like I wonder, you know, are, are the players equipped to um, understand like the full ramifications of proposing a new system? I know that probably sounds like very condescending. Like some players are really invested in the game and they know exactly how all the systems work. And some players may be more casual. Um, You also pointed out like people have different um, agendas or points of view. Like, you know, an elder player may have different interests than someone who plays once a week, but is really deep into I don't know, PvP combat or something like that. Like they're they're only going in a specific direction. So there's different factions of players and their ability to like synthesize the information. And then finally, like, um, are they going to even vote? Are they gonna participate? Uh, or are they gonna take the time to read the documentation? Um, so there's like all these different kind of ways that this could go yeah. in unintended directions, not necessarily good or bad, just like not knowing. I think the same same problems manifest themselves with DAOs.
2: Do you think that something like this would um, work best with like elder games? Like basically, because um, you know, as we're as we're talking about it, right, it's like players having an impact on their game and like having like this very like long term investment in the game. Like you really get that understanding of the game and kind of like that ability to, you know, actually know the game better than, than sometimes like the game developers. Um Probably once the game's out for like, you know, over three years for sure, right? Like we're talking like yeah longevity here, and it feels like it's it's a system that best serves kind of games in that stage and not and maybe like as you're like exploring new concepts, so maybe I'm like on a prototyping type phase, but it feels like there's like this this time mm-hmm. period where um. You know it, it, it might not be as beneficial at least to that rigor of pulling. not not building with like building the, yeah. the community yes but like that rigor of pulling, it just feels like it's much more suited for like this kind of elder type very loyal user bases
1: hmm. yeah i think that makes absolute sense actually i haven't thought about that because RuneScape already existed, they took a game that already existed, and then took a, an, an older version, and then started branching it off into his own game. So it was a game that already had an audience, it had a history, and then shaping the future and not starting from a new game. Hmm. That's a very interesting perspective. And in terms of, um, Matt, you asked, do players fully understand the the design document? and I, I don't remember the exact criteria, but not everyone can vote. I think you have to be at a certain mm-hmm. stage of the game to be able to vote. And yeah, it was honestly amazing how these players, like they've, they've been playing for so long. They know the game in and out, every mini game, every section, um, every strategy. And sometimes because you have someone who's played the game, I don't know, 12 years or something, they have 12 years of knowledge of the design and the balance. And then you have someone on the team, I don't know, maybe they joined a a year ago. That's still not enough to gain those 12 years of knowledge of the game. And so I imagine that potentially, yeah, some players could understand the design and the implications better than the game devs.
0: I I completely agree with this notion that it's uh, better suited for Elder Games. Where this gets interesting with the DAOs conversation is that the voting is often conferred through tokens, right? and i can sell those tokens to someone else even if i put in 100 hours oh. i can just say i'm tired of this game i'm going to sell these voting rights to someone else and then it, it kind of it, it changes the way that that, that works also um, kind of counter to the idea of elder game applications is that you know just by nature of the sort of cycle of crypto that we're in all of these games are new mm-hmm. they're all brand new and so they're like they're doing these uh, the, the ones that are doing it like dao Enforced voting, they're doing it at the very earliest stages of development. Where I could still see it working, it just depends how you apply it. Like you know, maybe it's more about um, the aesthetic, the world building, the lore, um, and it's less about the mechanics of the game and how our tokenomics are going to work or something like that. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it all plays out with this um, sort of Web three application.
2: Yeah, especially with like the the, the token granted uh voting rights right like you you can end up with like a very powerful majority dictating like the direction of your product right like it it's it is distributed but like it it doesn't it's not distributed evenly in in any way or form so that's going to shape your product very much towards like you know whichever portion of your game you're enabling like that uh, voting for that is going to be very much shaped by that powerful majority Mm -hmm. um which might or might not be an even distribution of of your broader user base
1: i'm really curious for someone to do it in the industry and see what happens would i do it (laughs) if i'm bootstrapping or starting a company would i have the courage to do it probably not but i hope someone out there has the courage so that we can we can see what happens And before we move on to Matt's topic, uh, I know that some of my Jagex friends listen to this. And I just want to say I miss you. All right, Matt.
0: All right, so uh, I'm going to take things in a different direction here. Um, I saw this article sometime last week. Uh, It's from PC Gamer. um, And they're talking about how the Russian state is... Uh, advocating for the creation of a national game engine uh, to rival Unity or Unreal. Specifically, we're talking about a few uh, Russian tech companies and politicians. Um, You know, vContact is one that's kind of like the Russian Facebook. They also have a games presence. Uh, Ross Telecom, which is their state telecom provider. Uh, These were some of the bigger names that were mentioned. Um, And this was kind of in response to a lot of the Western tech companies pulling out of Russia um, post-invasion of Ukraine. So that's kind of the the summary of the story, is that they're looking to set up a national game manager, or at least advocating for it. Um, my first reaction, and I suspect the reaction of many others who read this, was to kind of shrug it off and say, like, this will never happen. Um, you know, Unity, Unreal, um, uh, Epic Games, these, these companies are so far ahead of someone that would be starting from scratch, uh, to make a new engine like, like this is not an easy thing to do. Um, there's a lot of R and D that goes into it, uh, a lot of investment, and so this was my first reaction: was like, "Oh, that's it's kind of like a harebrained idea." Um, but I, you know, I thought about it a little bit more, and especially in the context of all these, I'm going to use the word metaverse conversations uh, recently, um, uh, and the importance of the game engine in that tech stack for creating digital experiences um, I was sort of thinking about like the long-term applica- uh, excuse me long-term implications of a totalitarian state actor controlling this key piece of the tech stack as the world is increasingly spending more and more time in digital spaces uh, online and what what does that mean for sort of um, control for privacy? Uh, things like that, um, and uh, in in doing the research, uh, digging a little bit deeper into the sources that these articles referenced, um, there was a German report that talked about. Uh, um, it's a quote here: "Russia's quest for digital sovereignty," um, which uh, at a high level has two goals. One is technological independence, which I mentioned earlier as the sort of decoupling from EU and American tech companies, and the second goal is information control, um, which if you follow uh, international politics about Russia or, you know, other similarly minded nations, um, the control of information or propaganda, uh, depending on your point of view is really an important part of how they kind of maintain their power. And so, you know, what does this mean? Like in Russia, are, are they going to be able to pull this off in the next few years? I don't know. I'm skeptical, but, um, it's not really about competing in business terms, It's more about like, if they continue at this, if they continue to develop something like this, and they're sort of forcing adoption. Uh, And by the way, it's not just games, like game engines are being increasingly used in other applications, film and television, architecture, you know, uh, engineering, automotive applications, there's all sorts of ways that game engines are being used more and more so what does it mean for an authoritarian regime like a russia or maybe a china to be more realistic uh to build their own game engine that is sort of state controlled state sponsored and uh what are the implications on that so i wanted to kind of propose this topic and and see what you all think am i being um you know, am I catastrophizing here? Is this like, am I projecting too far out into the 1984, you know, vision of things? Or am I right to be concerned a little bit?
2: I It's it's very interesting because as you were talking about it, um, the first thing that came to mind, and I don't know if, if you guys watched it, was uh, Extra Credits on YouTube did an episode um, a few years back on propaganda games. Uh, and how the like the dangers I think it was like the true dangers of gamification, and they talked about, um, you know, a lot about the social networks, uh, in China specifically, like you know, the the gamification of like all your activities, and you know, really influencing your behavior as we live more and more in this connected, uh, world in like social networks and social media right? And like gamifying there from like gaining points if you like the right things within, you know, the, the feed, uh, losing points if you're associated to the wrong people and that having impact on, on your life, right? Like maybe you don't get access to, you know, the best jobs if um, you don't have a, a good enough score. And if if we go into like, uh, Black Mirror territory, right? Like uh, we're we're getting towards towards that, but it really it really reminded me of that, and I think like that's I I don't necessarily think that like, you're catastrophi- catastrophizing. I'm um, sorry, <laughs> um, but I just feel it, it's it's an interesting move because the talent is there to build the technology. Like it's not like they don't have the talent to build it. Now is the talent. Uh, and you know, is is there the motivation there? However, that motivation comes from or wherever it comes from, to you know, build the technology, and then use it, right? Um, you know, having games built in that technology, or or a, a metaverse, or whatnot. Uh, but I think like the the implications of something like this working out, I don't think are like far fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, the question for me is more like you know the 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 building it itself, and then you know is is um, you know some team from there going to build like this this metaverse type, or you know they're going to assemble a team to build this metaverse type space? Um, so it does feel like more complex than social networks, uh, right? Because you know both Russia and China have their own social networks, yeah. and I think like that's a, a I would say, like, a prototype of, of this. Um, but a social network, I would argue, is much easier to build um, than, like, a game engine and then, you know, <laughs> build games in a in metaverse on top of that game engine. Um, so all, all that is to say is, like, my, my reaction was, like, Man, there's there's like a very like black mirror future that you can like start going into if, if you talk think about like the implications of of something like this working out. Um, the the question for me is like, would you know, would they get there in terms of like building all of those building blocks? I
1: I think so. Um, and yeah. we're not that far off from the black mirror future. I, I believe China's A B testing. Um, Already a social credit score in that regard. I believe that the presence of humanity in the digital world is just an accepted fact that that's where we're going towards. And I also believe that the way that we manage the world outside of the digital, so I don't know, the physical world probably is a good description. I believe governments will want to try to mirror that within the digital world. And if we look at other countries, I don't know, like Western countries, we're more comfortable with um, companies, corporations, having quite a lot of control over our society, whether that's by having so-called monopolization of services, limiting our choice, the consumer choice, lobbying governments. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, that's just how it is. And then we have other countries where they don't want to depend on third party international, even national companies to have that kind of control. And so they want to um, privatize and have governmental, author- uh, governmental authority over other aspects of life. And I think that's just, that will be the same case with the, with the metaverse. And to do that, you need a game engine. And so better start now. You know, China has a, I believe it's by 2030, they want to be the leading AI innovators globally, and I think the last article I read, they were only about a year behind the United States in that regard, so it's very likely that they will achieve their goal. And if we look at past achievements of just the world, both Russia and China have been able to achieve like marvelous innovations in the in digital and in engineering, like the space race and all of these things. It seems like no matter what kind of, um, I don't know, politics the country follows, you have bright engineers, you have motivated people, and put those two together with a a common goal, they will achieve it. And we've seen that being achieved. And I think this game engine will follow the same path if it remains, because it's going to take quite a lot of investment and costs. So as long as the countries remain focused that this is an outcome that they want, I believe that they have all of the skill to achieve it.
2: The the metaverse race, so to speak. Well, yeah, and
1: I think I was at Develop <laughs> Brighton and Brenda Romero did a talk about the betterverse. And it was all about how we need to be cautious of not bringing the physical world bias um, into digital worlds. And the outcome of the talk was a bit cynical, and I agree with it, is... Is it possible? Probably not. And seeing how all of these different companies and countries are trying to build their their own metaverses, I think that's an example um, that we will see the physical world reflected in the digital.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's a strong case for for um, governments to really like fund this, right? From from that um, point of view, in terms of you know, kind of splitting like Western countries that rely more on like private companies. Um, you know, they're struggling with regulation and you know, making sure that they have like the right privacy gates, protecting the u- users, you know, kind of have have all all of this uh protection for users as as this expands more and more. So I mean that that's like the perfect, you know, hypothesis and starting point for someone like russia to be like well clearly that's not working we need to do it differently um and that starts creating like a very focused and like like clear mission and like a motivated mission for building something like like this
0: yeah it's not necessarily excuse me not necessarily this dichotomy between like free markets and companies are building it. And this monolithic state entity is building it. Like if you look at a country like China, like Tencent, NetEase, these are massive companies with Im- impressive technical capabilities, but they're not like distinct entities from the state either. Like, you know, if you want to play in China, you have to play by the rules and you could apply the same notion to Russia or any other, um, you know, nation with a, a similar mindset, which is like, you know, if you want to access the metaverse from Russia, you have to do it through the Russian game engine or it's, and also by the way, like, it doesn't have to be this, um, you know, full ready player one type metaverse, um, like the final, you know, whatever vision it's like, there are many steps along the way and many sort of different digital experiences. And it could just come down to from a a Russian or Chinese state perspective. Like you just need to access it through our, you know, rules or our portal, uh, that we've built in our game engine. Um, and by the way, I should say, uh, like Western companies aren't necessarily great at like protecting users or, you know, being, um, privacy centric necessarily. So I don't mean to make this a one-sided argument. Um, there are, there are problems all around. Um, but I guess the point I wanted to make with this story is that it's less about the business impact to like Epic or Unity and more about like, what does this mean for societies as we move to like a more digital um, way of living uh, in the future? And what does it mean for governmental control of these digital spaces?
1: Um, should we move on to the, the last topic uh, or else we might get, too bogged down in politics.
2: <laughs> in in, in speak, speaking of game engines, we can speaking we can jump engines. into talking about the uh, Unity and Iron Source uh, merger. Um, and I can give a, a, a give a little intro here. I'm sure that folks have read plenty of news about this and about the deal. But just to summarize it a little bit, um, I I will say that from from when I saw the news coming out. Um, the first thing that came to mind i was like man are we like reaching like peak consolidation here and was uh iron swords the last and i'm gonna use air quotes pure ad network (laughs) because they were not pure anymore like they had like a gaming arm and uh but i was like man is this are we reaching like peak consolidation so um it's it's an interesting you know consolidation plays where we're at right now but some some details on the deal um the deal was for um unity and iron source to merge where uh it's worth 4.4 billion dollars for iron source uh that's a 74 premium uh on what was evaluated um at the time and basically iron source will become a wholly owned subsidiary of unity uh some quick and interesting points, uh, Unity has never really been profitable. Um, I think that they operate at a loss of negative uh, 7%. Uh, so on the flip side, what's interesting is IronSource has historically run a profitable business, uh, I believe with uh, above a 30% EBITDA margin. Um, so that's a, a very interesting marriage that we're um, talking about even if, if Unity is bigger than IronSource. Um, and this uh, EBITDA margin for Iron Source has, they've been able to maintain it, even as they've been hit with, you know, all the IDFA headwinds. Um, another interesting fact is that uh, Unity has had trouble competing in the ad monetization space. Um, they have the, the inventory and the ad network um, and they've acquired ad networks in the past, but, you know, they've really, have struggled to find their footing with the um, ad mediation platform. So, from in that regard, you know, Iron Source has a very solid ad mediation platform, uh, Unity doesn't. So, in that regard, again, um, the merger makes sense. Uh, and it's also been a very interesting, I would say, roller coaster year for Unity, with, you know, they had a very strong Q1, um, I believe it was like record revenue 30%. Uh, up year over year, but uh, even as they, you know, were recording record revenue, they've been lowering their guidance. Um, you know, almost with every board uh, board meeting and, and um, you know, with every deal announcement, they've they've been lowering their guidance for the year. Um, and they even hit uh, a layoff round of about four percent of their workforce in in June. Um, and their CEO, and this is just like, kind of like a, it was, it was interesting that this happened like right after they announced the deal, like their CEO got into some bad PR with very harsh, uh, comments about developers not prioritizing web Um, which was just like interesting. You're seeing like a CEO that supposedly has a, a lot of experience, uh, and is very seasoned, um, make, make comments like that. Um, so you know, it's all in. It's it's an interesting deal. You know, the the mergers and acquisitions kind of slowed down during Q4 as the markets were kind of cooling. Um, and then, you know, we see a pretty pretty hefty deal here. Um, I think, you know, as as I was reading several takes, uh, you know, people have have analyzed this. Um, you know, why I think it makes sense. It's, uh, you know, Unity's mediation tool, as I was saying, like it's just like really behind. Um, while Sources mediation, I think it's called Level Play, has been around for three years. It's solid, it works. You know, it has a good customer base that, that likes it. Um, their biggest competitor, Apple Oven, acquired Mopop. And, uh, you know, they've... Apple Open has been very aggressive with their acquisition mm-hmm. strategy and have really like really eaten into the market. So, you know, kind of it, it almost feels like Apple Open, like pushed them into a corner to like you're like, you're the, the two left um, big players here other than, you know, our, our Google and Facebook networks. Um, so it's either do this or, or can't compete. Um yeah. and you know in a hypothetical world where it all works well, if the tools are well integrated into unity like it it can work like it can be a good uh kind of play all in for for both teams. although I'm skeptical um you know and and that's what overall the market and the industry have been very mixed in their reactions um so I'm curious to hear mm-hmm. uh you know, kind of just we can dive into like more specifics and, and about the deal or like kind of take it a little bit more of like generally speaking about like where the the industry trends are going. But um I'm curious to hear you know from what you guys have read and, and heard from the deal like what is your your point of view in terms of this pretty big big merger. Hmm I think
1: I think it makes sense. I think it was a um, a key strategic move from Unity and Iron Sorts. Something that bothers me about what happened is how Unity laid off part of their workforce, and and so Unity went through some struggles because they ingested bad data, and then I think it, it, it's called the Audience Pinpointer. Uh, their product it, it was essentially destroyed and they were going to have to rebuild it. And so that already hurt Unity's share. Um, and then they announced that they weren't going to lay off anyone. I think the CEO announced that and in all hands. And then about two weeks later they did. And when people were looking at who they had laid off, it was the machine learning, uh, a lot of machine learning and I believe data science team. And so everyone was just left thinking, oh, wait, they were the people that you needed the most to go and resolve the ingestion of bad data that that happened and rebuild your product essentially and then they acquired you know they had a merger with iron source and that, that explained what why people were laid off and i think what doesn't sit right with me is how they weren't very clear about why they were laying off and i think other companies were laying off and from what i heard a lot of people were blaming it on the recession because of the bad data they hadn't um, performed as well but then yeah, they have the $4.4 billion, um, merger. I'm not blaming anyone. There's just something about it that doesn't fully sit right with how I feel about this. And then on the other hand, I think it's an excellent strategy for Unity because maybe actually the cost of rebuilding that product, which is critical for their revenue, I believe their um, services revenue is higher than the engine, engine revenue it's probably more cheap to, to merge with iron source and you already have their ad mediation platform that is successful, get their knowledge. Um, from what I understood, unity is going to continue to build their own ad mediation platform. I, I can only assume that maybe iron sources platform, the ad mediation could be better. And so that's why now they're, they've joined forces like, unity, the expertise of unity with the expertise of iron source and building it together to make something better and new to compete in this market that, um, like you said, app loving is very competitive right now. Matt, any thoughts?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know if either of you have used iron source as, as product people. Um, I can, I can only speak as like a former user. Um, I found their product to be very good. And like the uh, dashboarding and, and reporting tools that they had were, were really good from my perspective as a PM who was working on an ad monetized game. Um, that said, you raised a really interesting point, Maria, which I, I also picked mm-hmm. up on um, shout out to the uh, invest game breakdown in Navic digest uh, on this topic where they pointed out that, that the ad monetization revenue stream or the segment that includes that was a much larger proportion of unit, uh, Unity's revenue than their engine services, which is crazy when you talk about like one of you mentioned earlier how it was like their ad service was like not great. Um, and so I don't know if they kind of stumbled into that or, or what, uh, I'd like to give them more credit than that. But um, it makes sense uh, from that perspective, they're trying to shore up their uh, capabilities in that area. Obviously, it's important to their business. Um, both companies were getting hammered on the you know stock markets. They, they weren't doing particularly well. Um, and the comments from the CEO about um, developers was like, I get what he was trying to say, but if you think about Unity, like probably most of their developers are on the indie side. They're not doing a ton of in-game monetization. They're certainly not doing ad monetization. Like that's a, a huge part of their customer base. That's using Unity, so I don't know. It it, it seems like not an, an ill advised comment. I'll say.
2: Yeah, I I, I totally agree, and I um, I also have used Iron Source a lot as, as a tool. Um, Unity for Admon, not as much. Um, although I've you know a few years back, I I did a little bit. Um, from that experience, like Iron Source's product is just superior. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if they actually leverage that, Um, you know, in, in that regard, just looking at it as like very purely like, and and I, I, this is a pet peeve of mine, but um, when all of these deals get announced, everything's talked about like synergies to be realized. Uh, And I was like, man, where are those synergies? Cause very rarely do you see those, those synergies get, get realized um so it, it's gonna be you know that's where i'm the the most skeptical like it, similar to you Maria like it, how it's all kind of gone it's you know kind of doesn't doesn't sit well um especially like with unity being so you know such a tool for you know trying to reach a a any type of developer right like you're not talking about like an unreal engine where you're like Hitting like these very like experienced uh you know bigger teams that can afford a tool like that, right? like unity's like vision and mission starting point is like enable any type of team to to build games um but that that aside, uh I am very skeptical of seeing the uh the so and so called synergies. Uh, really, get realized, especially Iron Source. Uh, they acquired Tapjoy at the end of last year in October, and they still haven't fully integrated um, Tapjoy. Right, so now you have Iron Source integrating Tapjoy, Unity integrating Iron Source. It, it just feels like uh, a little bit of a, of a mess. That uh, my my skeptic side, skeptical side, um, it's like, you know, the the biggest impact of this deal is that Unity bought some profit <laughs> and uh, Iron Source was able to give back a little bit of value to their shareholders.
0: <laughs> you make a good point. Like um, M&A is, is complex and there, there's some stat up there. It's like eight out of 10, nine out of 10 acquisitions ultimately fail. Um and so it's you know it's a big challenge as you point out to uh,
1: considering how much of a portion ads, the ad services are to unity, I'm a bit less skeptical because they'll have to get it done. They'll be motivated. And so yeah, they'll be motivated <laughs> to at least, I don't know capitalize on some of that synergy one way or the other. Well what, what I'm more curious about is what is that going to look like for the developers, for their um, products, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And the whole situation that happened with the CEO, is just a good reminder of how difficult the role of a CEO is because the moment you're in that role, you're so public and you're essentially representing everyone who's in the company when you're communicating. And I'm sure the grand majority of everyone who works at Unity is lovely and doesn't agree with what was be- being said but yes, I can imagine it's quite hard. <laughs> Everything you say is—it's not his first go round. Yeah, either. exactly. He
0: was the CEO of EA yeah. for a long time. Oh
2: right. Um, the other, the other like quick, an interesting thing that, that jumped out at me as I was reading about the deal is that um, it was really I, I found it like funny that uh, one of the things that was highlighted is like um, that Unity now has a has a game studio capability, like game 2 capabilities. Uh, and that is because Iron Source has this like little uh, supersonic studio that does like hyper casual games, um, and for me it was like it was like such a such an interesting thing. That I was like highlighted. It felt like much bigger than than it it was going to play a role in any way or form. So it, it's always like interesting to see how how the deals get. Uh, Kind of shared and communicated in 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 the PR that goes behind them. That was that was an interesting tid, tidbit that I was like, just made me like turn my head and be like, huh, it's interesting that you're putting so much emphasis on this. <laughs>
1: well, it could be a positioning against Appleman, who who owns game studios, right. yeah, for yeah. example, Lion Lion mm-hmm. Studios and Unity and Iris and Iron
2: Source. Like, oh hey, we have to be yeah, being days. like, hey, we're now. We're more than uh, app loving because we're like an engine and a studio and a network. Boom.
1: Yeah, because I mean, when you do these kinds of announcements, it's also to create confidence with the shareholders and affect the market, hopefully in a positive way. Uh, from the last I saw, that hasn't happened with the Unity share price.
2: Yeah, I believe it went down a little bit. But uh, yeah. do, do you guys think that we've reached uh, peak consolidation? at this point no more more to come right no
1: No. No. (laughs) more to come and (laughs) i think especially with the market Um, and where it's going we'll see more happening
0: yeah i think um especially if we enter more like more of a deep recession Mm -hmm. um we've already seen there's an appetite among like tech giants to Step into gaming and acquire gaming companies. There have been plenty of rumors about EA in the past, for example. Uh, Ubisoft was another one. We just had Playtika um, get acquired by it was like a private equity firm or something. So uh, I don't think it's going to stop. I think it might slow down and it might be like bigger companies at lower frequency. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but I think, I, think I don't
1: remember if it was Aaron or you, But they said that the Playtika uh, majority share acquisition might actually be fake news so that yeah oh, okay i don't know if that's been fully confirmed But I, I agree with everything that that you said yeah. and that takes us to the end of today's episode awesome a mix of interesting topics um thanks matt you've been bringing some thought opening topics in the past couple of roundtables you've been attending
0: Sure, happy to help. Happy I'm Tammy. To Thanks
2: for joining for your first episode. Yeah, thank you, thank you for uh, inviting me. Is this is this is fun? I
1: changed your surname pronunciation in my document with Portuguese letters so that I pronounce it correctly next time. <laughs> I'm gonna be put to the test. And if you want to join the conversation, you know where to find us. We're in the Navic Discord. Also sign up to the free newsletter Navic Digest, where you can, for example, read um, Invest Games report on the Unity Iron Source uh, merge. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Bye, everyone.